welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is your host, Christopher, and I am here, as always, with my good friend, Tom. Howdy, sir. Hi, how have you been? Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's spring. Not that the weather would actually indicate that in any way, shape, or form. Well, we're recording on Wednesday, and here in Ohio, that means it was 80 degrees. <laughs> yeah, but I under- on your way to 45... Yeah, Tuesday was 40, and Thursday will also be, I think, maybe 50, but it's going to rain. So, yes, yeah, we are having the Ohio spring all in one week. Oh, but see, out here in Baltimore, we had it all in one day. Uh, oh, t- yeah. Today, we had wintry mix in the morning, followed by 55 in the afternoon. <laughs> yep. So nope, understand. Uh, yeah, uh, everything's a little schizophrenic. <laughs> yep. And we got a nice wind advisory, so fortunately I'm down here in the basement, so you can't hear the wind battering the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have that. Uh, it's good that you're in your soundproof studio. <laughs> yes. Yeah, speaking of, of crummy weather, mm-hmm. uh, we would have really liked nicer weather when a few of us went out to the Great Ohio Toy Show. Woo-hoo! Friend of the show and friend of mine, Floyd, and uh, my son all went out to Xenia, Ohio, which, if you're familiar with Xenia, Ohio, it's not the place you want to be in bad weather. <laughs> it tends to be a magnet for <laughs> for some pretty bad occurrences in the past. Oh, great. But, fortunately, uh, no tornadoes. Though I did see a brewery uh, in downtown Xenia called Devil Wind Brewery. <laughs> well, at least know your brand. <laughs> exactly. Gonna have to get up there and give them a try sometime. But yes, the Great Ohio Toy Show was pretty cool. They had something like 300 vendors nice. in about eight buildings. It was at the local fairground. That's impressive for middle of nowhere Ohio. It was a lot of fun. It was, I was, it was exactly what I was hoping for. I've been to some smaller toy shows, mm-hmm. and the problem with most of those is it's a lot of the same thing from table to table. Sure. Um, or if you go to like a, a comic con or a sci-fi convention and you get the dealers, it's all the same toys. Oh, look, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, very little variety. It's whatever's in stock. <laughs> this was great. A lot of nice vintage toys going back to the 30s, 40s, 50, every decade um, was represented, which was a lot of fun. It would be so easy for me to spend a lot of money at something <laughs> like that. It's it's funny uh, that you're doing that because uh, I'm going through an experience with my son right now where he's growing up way too fast and he's trying to give up all of the kids. Oh. Stuff. Like, I keep telling him, yeah, you got to take it a little easy because, you know, in about 10 more years, you're going to be right back in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. My son is a big fan of like R2-D2. Yes. Yeah, Star Wars in general, I think he can take and leave, take or leave. But R2-D2, he loves R2-D2. So he ended up finding a bunch of, like, R2-D2 things. Yeah. And the kid had a knack for, you know, he'd pick up and look at something and they'd come by, five bucks. Sold. (laughs) Nice. He he walked out with, like, five or six things 
didn't spend more than $25 total. Nice. <laughs> so he had a knack for finding the deals. It never hurts to just throw out your price to go, I'll take it for this. <laughs> Worst yeah. they can say is no. But no, yeah, <laughs> I, I I knew I liked your boy. I'm all, I too, uh, and it, when it comes to Star Wars, uh, I can get into some of it, maybe not others, uh, but R2, mm-hmm. R2's always a fan favorite. Yeah. So he found like the R2-D2, I think it was from the Micro Machines collection. Oh. It was like R2-D2 opened up and it was like a little miniature Hoth playset. Oh, very cool. <laughs> I don't think any of the figures or anything were inside, but it was still the playset, and it looks it's shaped like R two D two. So he got that five bucks. Right. Uh, he got something from Star Tours where it's an R two D two, and it's got a, like a little lights and like tubes hanging off of the dome with little start with the Star Tours logo, yeah. and you push a button and he he yells and screams and spins and the, it lights up. Oh, very nice. Five five bucks. <laughs> He found a giant tumbler that came from like Taco Bell, <laughs> but it had like the legs uh-huh. and everything. And then it had, of course had the, the dome on top where the straw goes in that looks like R2-D2. They wanted like $10 and he went up, he went up to him after a little bit and says, will you take five? <laughs> and they gave it to him for five. Nice. Yeah, he was, he was good. He, he had a good time. That's amazing. I, I still have a, uh, along those lines, I still have a, a, a former trip to Disney uh, before they had bought Star Wars, but had Star Wars there. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it was right after they bought it. I can't remember. But anyways, uh, they had these R2-D2 drink things where um, the carrier was his legs and all that. And right. then you had the straw, but then the dome comes off so that you could put the drink in. Yeah, I still have that thing. Well, see, that sounds exactly like, uh, or very similar to what he picked uh-huh. up. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, no, those yeah. are cool. Yeah. Now, uh, Floyd ended up being the, he found a, a few things. I won't go into details on you know the money he spent or anything <laughs> like that. But he, he's, of course, a big uh, tabletop and board game yeah. uh, fan. And so he found some classic board games um, there that was really good. One of which... As you all, some of you may know, um, I hope Floyd doesn't mind me talking about this, but um, he found a Space 1999 board game. Oh, nice. He's a, he's a fan of Space 1999. I he found know. A, had no idea that there was a board game. So he found a Space 1999 board game. It was just sitting there in a stack of other board games, had a rubber band around it because it had been open. It wasn't like sealed or anything. Right. And he asked, like, can I, you know, pop it open and see? what it looks like inside the guy's like yeah says i can't tell you if it's complete or not because i really don't know anything about it well floyd opened this thing up all the game pieces and everything still in the cellophane oh wow this game never been played oh opened but never played yeah that's amazing all all the little cardboard pieces are still unpunched in their in their cards everything (laughs) it's just it's immaculate inside it was really impressive. So he's able to, we think there was a piece of cardboard that had like an eagle shaped cutout in it. And we think there may have been like a plastic or metal eagle toy or figure that might've had something to do with the gameplay right. or not. Who knows? And that was missing. Okay. As far as we can tell, that's the only thing that wasn't in there. Nice. And we thought that was just, he was, <laughs> he was really cool. The guy, he got it. I won't go in. I won't say what he paid for it, but it was, it wasn't, 
that much. It was pretty inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, like, well, I'll give it to you for that price, but if you don't buy it, whoever wants it is going to have to pay more. <laughs> now that he knew that it was <laughs> in such good condition. <laughs> it's good to negotiate. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so Floyd was able to get it for a good price. He was very happy. Now he'll spend all of his days scouring eBay looking for the missing piece. <laughs> As I said... I could go broke in a few different places. One in particular had a whole lot of Godzilla and other kaiju-related <laughs> figures. You're lost forever once you see those things. Oh, uh, including a Gamera. I do not have a Gamera figure because there are not that many to be found. And then when you do find them, they are quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. This one in particular was really cool. I think it must have been maybe 18 inches tall. Oh, wow. And probably just as wide because you're talking his shell and everything, uh-huh. you know, and he's looking good. He looked awesome. Yeah, 120 bucks. Yeah. Although at that size. <laughs> I would have, but my um, financial advisor <laughs> would have killed me. <laughs> What you should have done is had Ben go up there and go, five bucks? <laughs> right. <laughs> Apparently it was working for him. What's your problem? <laughs> right. Yeah, now they had a lot of really cool figures and different variants and stuff on a couple of different ones, and they, they looked really good. And I really wanted that camera. That would have been... I have absolutely no place to put it. No. <laughs> that, that sucker was big. But, uh, yeah, it looked really cool. See, I, I, I didn't get to go because clearly I'm here. But uh, since we're on the topic, I'll at least throw in. I finally received something in, in the game and toy uh, area this week that I have been waiting for for two years. Oh, wow. Our, I believe you're familiar with the old uh, um, game Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. vaguely. Yeah, um, of which I still have my original and it is still in working order. Um there was a group out on Kickstarter that started a return to Dark Tower game. And it's taken over two years, but it finally arrived. <laughs> nice. That's cool. So I'm super excited. But this one is obviously a little more robust than, <laughs> than the last game. So I could need a little time to go through the instruction manual to figure out how to play, but it integrates with your phone and the tower, your phone and the tower can talk together. Nice. Um, yeah, no, lots of different pieces. There's expansion packs. It's a, it, it, I think it'll sit nicely between what was and what are now those big strategy games. So might could sit nicely in a place where I like won't beat space 1999, but <laughs> should be fun i couldn't walk out not buying something of course not <laughs> why go <laughs> there was a little something i found in only the second building it's kind of cool but you know whatever we went through the whole thing checked everything out mm-hmm. saw all the tables the way out i'm like well let's go back into the building and see if it's still there it was this toy car from uh, Hasbro, 1969. Mm-hmm. It was called a, an Amazematic, and it looks like a uh, sort of prototype um, or a uh, concept car uh, Corvette is the shape of the thing or whatever. You showing it to me? It looks a little like the Speed Racer car. 
a little bit. Yeah. Um, but this thing is actually you um, can program it. Be it, it's a car with a mind of its own, as it says, because you feed in effectively. It's card programmed. Mm-hmm. So you feed in these little cards, and those cards tell it to turn left, turn right, slow down, speed up, go in reverse. And I thought that's just kind of cool. So I, I, and it was only ten bucks. So they were asking fifteen. They said you could have it for ten. <laughs> so when I came back, it's like if you'll still take ten, I'll take it off your hand. <laughs> so I got it for ten bucks. Just I thought you know. It's just got that kitsch factor. Well, yeah, and and what year was that again? 69. 69. So you think about 1969, and I mean, today it's still just really kind of getting into all of like the uh, uh, remote control and stuff it, it is the ability to just pre-program motion into the toy and then let it go. Mm-hmm. That did it with cards. That's just cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty slick, and it does still work. But unfortunately, I do not have a basement big enough for it to do its thing. It needs a lot of room, so I'm gonna have to take it up to like a nice smooth blacktop parking lot someday, <laughs> and start feeding cards in and and watch it do its thing. That'll be cool. You'll have to video that. <laughs> yeah, I will absolutely. I have to also see if I can dig up and find. It did not have directions. No. So I don't know exactly. I think I have a pretty good idea how because it's got uh, pre-cut cards mm-hmm. and it's also got some cardboard ones that you can cut yourself to do and so you can program it yourself. Yeah. Uh, some have already been done, but there are still a few blanks. But yeah, I would definitely have to get see if I can find some directions. And it was supposed to come with little pylons that you could set up that you would then drive around. You yeah. know, you put in the program and it would drive around, but those aren't there, so it's not a complete. Uh, toy set or anything like that but the car does still work which i think is pretty impressive for uh, a mechanical car from 1969 yeah. that it that and it's really just it's really clever the, i mean you put the batteries in and actually inserting the card is what pushes the contact to to the battery oh yeah and that's what starts it running i think that's just so damn clever. That is. Yeah, that way... <laughs> so there's uh, not like an on and off switch. It's just you put in the card, that's your on switch. Yeah, no, that that's actually quite clever. And then you don't wear out the battery when there's not a card in there. Right. That's, that's very smart. That I is, liked it. That, that, that was a well thought out... I can't wait to see the thing. That'll be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I may have to... It's, it's missing a sticker and one of the other stickers kind of fell off, but... It's not hard to understand why a you know what a fifty three year old sticker might lose some stick. It's possible. I'll get a little glue stick and put it back on. It's amazematic. That's right. <laughs> but yes, I will. Uh, if I get out and get some decent weather, hopefully spring or summer will finally appear, and I will try to get this out on a nice smooth surface and uh, see if I can get it to do its thing. And I will videotape it, and I will post that on the uh, our, our socials, cool. which of course you can find if you follow the link tree in the show notes. Very cool! Can't wait to see it. Other than that, I don't think there is all that much else to talk about. Uh, I will just mention that you know we dropped a uh, time hop episode where we talked about a couple films that just came out uh, 
early April. So we recommend that you jump back and listen to that if you have not already. Uh, other than that, I guess we could take a break. Yep. You good with that? We are. Yes, let's do it. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about 2004? 2004. The Butterfly Effect. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. kids and I used to have those blackouts. Well, some of those memories have been coming back to me. There are moments in life we choose to remember. Do you think that we'll be together forever? <laughs> and some memories <laughs> we can never forget. All I know is that by reading these journals, I might be able to get Kaylee back. I'd think twice about what you're doing. You could wake up a lot more messed up than you are now. I haven't seen yourselves like this before. But what if you could go back in time? You are completely relaxed. Think of it like a movie. You can pause, rewind, or slow down. Could you save the one person that mattered the most? Honey, are you alright? You. Incredible. I lost you once and I'm not losing you again. You never lost me. What are you talking about? You got nice life. You stay away from us. What about Kaylee? Is she alright? If I go back to the beginning, I might be able to save her. Just tell me if you see anything weird. Weirder than this.
Okay. That you were happy once with me. Why don't you go back and save me? How are you doing this? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. You can't change who people are without destroying who they were. Every time I try to go back in time and help someone, everything just goes wrong. Oh my God, what did we do? You can't play God. The Butterfly Effect. You know, we are going to be talking about a film called The Butterfly Effect. So I thought it might be interesting to give a little to give a little synopsis about uh, what exactly is and what is the origin of the butterfly effect. In Chaos Theory, which states that within the apparent randomness of chaotic, complex systems, there are underlying patterns, interconnections, constant feedback loops, repetition, self-similarity, fractals, and self-organization. The butterfly effect is an underlying principle of Chaos Theory. The theory goes that a small change in one state can result in a large difference in in a later state. The term is closely associated with the work of mathematician and meteorologist Edward Norton Lawrence. He noted that the butterfly effect is derived from the metaphorical example of the details of a tornado, the exact time of formation, the exact path taken, being influenced by minor occurrences such as a distant butterfly flapping its wings several weeks earlier. Lorenz originally used a seagull causing a storm, but was persuaded to make it more poetic with the use of butterfly and tornado. The idea that small causes may have large effects in weather was earlier recognized by French mathematician and engineer Henri Poincaré. American mathematician and philosopher Norbert Weiner also contributed to the theory. The butterfly effect concept has since been used outside the context of weather science as a broad term for any situation where a small change is supposed to be the cause of a larger consequence. The idea that the death of one butterfly could eventually have a far-reaching ripple effect on subsequent historical events made its earliest known appearance in pop culture in A Sound of Thunder, a 1952 short story by Ray Bradbury. In that story, a time-traveling safari sends hunters back to let them shoot carefully researched and historically insignificant dinosaurs. When one hunter steps off the designated path, he inadvertently steps on a butterfly. When he returns to his present time, he discovers subtle and not-so-subtle changes have taken place, all cascading from the simple act of killing one insect. And this story is often credited with coining the phrase, butterfly effect. So there you go. The Butterfly Effect from 2004 was written and directed by Eric Bress and J. Mackie Gruber. It stars Ashton Kutcher, Amy Smart, Eric Stoltz, and William Lee Scott. A child who suffers from mysterious blackouts grows up and discovers that he has the ability to travel back in time to particular points in his life. He quickly discovers that these blackouts were caused by his future self's visit to the past. He uses this ability to try and change the past to create a better future for himself and the woman he's loved since childhood. But simple changes can have drastic, unintended consequences. This was a first-time watch for me. I'd been on the list for a long time just because of the premise. 
just never got around to it, as seems to be the case of so many films that we talk about here on the oh, show. Well, yeah, we, there's only so many times in the day and year and all that. <laughs> and I watched the same movie a dozen times, you know, from 1955 or something like that before I actually bothered to watch anything that came out after the year 2000. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're you're very you loved your older stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat, I liked the build of this movie or the build up because mm-hmm. really the first fifteen twenty minutes of this film, you're not really sure what the heck's going on because it's all over the map. It's jumping to different times sequentially through this kid's life before he finally gets to be an adult, and so you're still unsure about everything that came prior yeah no uh they they're very effective at making it seem like he's suffering from some neurological disorder Mm -hmm. these blackouts seem to be happening at random times it's it's a complete attack he doesn't have clue one what has happened during them even as a kid any attempt to do like regression therapy or something in order to unlock what has happened during that time only sends him deeper into a panic state. Yeah, I like the hypnosis. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when he was trying to trying to force him to remember what he saw and he his mind couldn't. Right, because he, he he wasn't there yet. Right. Yeah, that's what I love, is that he was trying to remember something that theoretically hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was literally breaking his brain. Like, like that's he bursts into bleeding, <laughs> and there is um, hints that his father suffered from some mental illness. Mm-hmm. You don't get any details of the, about that until much later. And yeah, I really enjoyed that that they kept the audience kind of in the dark, in as much as they kept the main character in the dark. We learned as he learned. Yep. We weren't. We didn't know everything, and then we just had to watch him go through the steps. I, which I hate when that happens. I hate it when the audience knows more mm-hmm. <laughs> than the people that you're watching on the screen. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I did love the fact that you could you had to learn along with uh, Ashton Kutcher's character. Yes. No. No. They the the layout. It would. And we'll get into some of that later, but the. It, this movie is so much better than it was received. Yeah. As I was saying, I liked how they kind of laid out the beginning of the film, and I really liked the premise of the film. Uh-huh. I don't know if I'd say it's a good film. No? I think there are problems I have with the film that sort of just uh, throw kind of a wet blanket over, like, entire enjoyment. Okay. Some of it's minor. Some of it is just, oh, come on. <laughs> Moments. I, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. There are definitely some moments in there. Uh, some of the, uh, um, there's a couple of glaring ones. Um, it, it, you, you'll ca- Whether you catch it or not, people bring it up uh, in other commentary about the film. But, uh, to take the concept, okay, we've learned that uh, as we go through this film, we learn that he's having blackouts. Later in the film, we learn that 
those blackouts are the result of him jumping back in his own timeline. Mm-hmm. We understand, especially by the sheer title of the film, that by impacting his life by jumping back, those little subtle changes that he tries to make to somehow improve what happens for him and his friends will now reset the timeline and it changes. There is at least one occurrence where he jumped twice into the same moment, but there's no acknowledgement that the first time didn't reset it all the way through. So theoretically, if you're resetting, I understand if he changes some other moment later on, but he jumped twice into the same thing and they got two different outcomes without ever it, it, it broke it broke reality even for you when you're watching it so mm-hmm. a little bit uh there's also the moment when he's trying well i guess you got to talk about the first moment sure he they they threw him into like maximum prison because of a of, of a crime mm-hmm he would not have been in prison. No, no. That's... He would have been maybe in, like, the county jail right. or something like that. Um, he hadn't even been tried yet. Right. <laughs> and and they've got him in, in, like, prison blues and in cell block with a bunch of murderous psychopaths. I'm like, what? No. Yeah, and you, <laughs> you're to assume that in this, in this timeline that he has set, things seem to be going pretty well overall. Um, so you would have thought at least at some point, especially given the circumstances, if it wasn't explained in any way, he might have even been out on bail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so he's in prison. So he's trying to find a way to, he, he needs his notebooks. He's been keeping journal, journals since he was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And he's discovered that if he reads segments of these journals, he can travel back to these moments uh, that he blacked out, that he didn't have any memory of before. Because I guess he's reading these journals, then the entries are either just before or just after these periods of time that he, do- he does not remember. Right. So he needs this journal in order to get back so he can get himself out of this situation. And to try to convince his, uh, his cellmate, uh, who is very religious, that he... Ashton Kutcher can speak to God. <laughs> he he goes to this point as a child and does something that would give him scars in the palms of his hands. Mm-hmm. And to where to assume that those scars just magically appear in front of his cellmate's eyes, that's not how this should work. Those scars should have already been there in that timeline. My problem with that isn't so much that other than if he had gone back in time and slammed his down hands down because, I mean, he screams at his teacher and says, hey, watch me, and he does mm-hmm. this. You don't think that wouldn't have launched its own timeline unto itself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One way or another, might... he was getting out of jail <laughs> at least that <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, he might have uh, suddenly found out that he spent, like, the next 10 years in an institution. Right. <laughs> Which is where you would have figured he'd have ended up in the first place. 
between right. blackouts and now self-mutilation. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have gone after to... after after drawing a picture of him killing Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> with a bloody knife. Uh yeah. Yeah, no. While in in third grade or whatever he was supposed to be. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no. I, I will completely and utterly give you that. No, nothing about that made any sense. <laughs> I, I got the point of what they were trying to do, but not the execution of it. I did think, too, when he uh, he makes the first big change and he suddenly finds himself in college, but he's in a fraternity, and suddenly he's like in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah. But he's on he's on the side of the of, of the jocks or something like that. And it's such a stereotypical, you know, pretty rich boy wearing the bright, you know, uh, label clothes and the whole uh, uh, pledges and, and hazing and all this stuff. And it's I'm not saying that that didn't go on, but to this extreme I mean, it, it felt very much like Revenge of the Nerds or Animal House or something. It was that's what was taking place when you weren't watching John Belushi. <laughs> <laughs> that's what was happening on the other side of campus. It it does come off a little cheesy. Uh, I, I, it was entirely meant to completely take his life in a different direction, set him completely apart from what he had already known. So, but. This also starts to question how much does one's... Uh, I'm not suggesting your circumstances don't shape your personality, but much of what he experienced, he had already experienced even before the change. So would that set him so dramatically in different uh, just what would essentially be five years later or so that that now all of a sudden college life is... it. Is that dramatically different? <laughs> mm-hmm. So right, but it was all meant so that it would put him at a complete odds with the friend that he made, who was his roommate. Yeah, but they only they do that what with like an aside, right? He no. bumps in, he bumps into him into a hallway. He's like, "Oh, hey, Thumper, what time is it?" Oh, f- you frat boy, and that's it. Again, uh, they're just pointing out, especially since this is the first thing it's just so dramatically different they set up all this other stuff up to this point that we taken it in completely different direction it is a little over the top that it was unnecessary mm-hmm. it could have been more subtle those were just a few of the um issues that i have that it's just the problem is though is that they end up playing such a big part in the film mm-hmm. that that makes it it just takes too much away of it or too much away from it for me. It's like you have this great premise and then you, you do this and you make that mistake and you, and you suddenly play up this ridiculous college life thing angle. Uh, Ah, and then the prison, it's just, (laughs) again, yeah, I'm not going to forgive its cheesy factor there. Um, but what I, what I enjoyed out of that is it's also that notion of um, him learning what it is that he is now capable of. And and unfortunately this has to get to a point where what it is, is he's set up to the second hop 
is entirely selfish. He has made a mistake in what essentially was becoming his perfect life. He had what he wanted. He might not have liked that he was the the frat boy guy. Mm-hmm. But he had his girl. Um, other than his one friend that that's still in a mental institution, if it weren't for her brother getting out of prison and trying to attack him, things were going okay for him. Right. Um, things were okay for his mom. All in all, this was not a bad timeline to be in. Right. But he screws it up because apparently he has a terrible lawyer and a terrible mother and, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> no one can manage to get him out of a self-defense situation. At worst, that would, he'd be accused of, like, manslaughter. Right. Now, and again, like you pointed out, we haven't even gotten a trial yet. <laughs> right. So, so he shouldn't even be where he's at. But... Forgiving any of that, we have to get to the point where he uses this ability to get him out of a scrape where, again, he's in a life or death situation for himself. But either way, he it, things have not gone his way and he is about to abuse this power because it's not gone his way. Um, and you have to have that learning moment for the next stuff that comes after that. Because it gets bleaker. <laughs> because we have to learn. And that's the whole point of this movie. Is is to get that appreciation of the little things that we do in life can have huge consequences later. So even in well-meaning circumstances where he thinks he can make changes, he cannot fully appreciate what happens out of those changes because he doesn't have the bigger picture all the way around. There are some moments in the bigger picture when it comes to the other characters Mm -hmm. that are influenced by his dalliances in, uh, in time. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, the, uh, his, his Kaylee's brother, his girl, his girlfriend's little brother, who is a psychotic nut through most of the film. Mm -hmm. But somehow, because he goes back to the moment where they're able to save the child and mother from the, uh, the the stick of dynamite or the giant firework or whatever, Tommy, I think his name Tommy, was, yes. runs and, and, and stops the, the, the mom and the baby from going too close and saves their life. And apparently from that moment, he turns into uber-religious Tommy. Yes. At maybe 10, 12 years old, he makes those decisions because he knocked one woman to the ground. <laughs> just, it, like, it's a leap. What? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a leap. But, I mean, in the same vein, the first hop, because when he goes to stop the pedophile dad, played by Eric Stoltz rather effectively. Yeah, Eric Stoltz, I, I don't want to be in the same room with Eric Stoltz anymore. I know, and in one of the reviews I read, too, that they, they talk about how Eric Stoltz always comes off as this sweet and loving and, and very caring guy. It's usually the kind of role he plays. To, so to see him in, in this out of char- this typically out-of-character role for him, um, they actually kind of appreciated the point that, well, I guess that's actually kind of the point, 
the people yeah. who are the true monsters are usually not the ones you think of as the true monsters till mm-hmm. you get into the monster situation. Uh, but no, uh, what was supposed to be important out of that is that first hop when he's busy stopping the pedophile dad, he isn't aware that Tommy is around the bend listening in on all of this stuff. They even pointed out on the first go round when we're watching them just grow up that Tommy is sitting there and he knows mm-hmm. what his dad is doing. And it's supposed to be why it's screwing him up, too. Right. Because now he hears his friend threatening his father uh, under these bizarre circumstances, but is also busy telling him to be really hard on the kid because he's a psychotic. That mm-hmm. that has consequences that he did not plan for or foresee, which is supposed to be part of the, the point of the film. Um, right, and no, and I like that. Yeah. I do think they did a nice job of of showing the what we didn't see. And I like that, you know, okay, so now his dad doesn't touch his daughter, but now maybe he's really hard and abusive on his son. And so, yeah, that that branch, that now there's this new reality with that in play. I like the way that they did that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, they, I'm not saying they didn't get super cheesy uh, uh, when they, they decided, okay, well, we need to set these worlds completely and utterly far apart to make our point i think they could have pulled that off a lot more subtly and a lot more realistically but uh, mm-hmm. but yes no i love the the points in that and, and i guess that's where i focus i get it i get that those are not the greatest there's room for improvement but if you focus in on just what's happening with the core characters and, and what they're trying to communicate I, I really got into that part. I re- and I'm just going to take this moment. One of the things I absolutely love in this film is, like we've discussed in some other things, we don't focus on why he can do this. We introduce it as a thing that can happen. We don't know why or how. I do we, like... We find out, or at least it's hinted that it's hereditary. Right, right, which is a, a point that they were trying to make in some of this anyway about at least the conditions and all that. So, yeah, we get to learn that, yeah, his father had this ability too. Um, and and possibly his grandfather. And, yeah, so this had been passed down. But we don't know where it comes from or why. Um, and we don't need to. I don't mm-hmm. want that explained to me. That's not the thrust of this film. But one of the things I really liked is... And this is something we can we'll explore continuously this year as we talk about time travel, is the notion of what does it mean to the traveler to time travel? Because there are those that figure that at the at the point in which he jumps and changes time that he shouldn't remember anything anymore because because he changed everything, right? Right. But we've already acknowledged that this is a special ability for this group of individuals that do this. And there are consequences to doing things, which is what Mm -hmm. this is all about. So even the act of jumping has consequences for the person that did the jumping. So not only does he get to remember the individual timelines, but the fact that now 20 years is passing and it is refilling his head at the point he returns. 
I find that amazing. I love that little detail, and I love I, that it's actually destroying his brain. I did like that, and the fact that you know they they do a a, a scan, mm-hmm. you know, like a CT scan of his brain and everything, and they're they're saying it, it's like, you know, the, the the portion of the brain that deals with memories, it looks like it's jacked. It's it's been like supercharged, like there's been years and years of memories being piled on top. And so, yeah, his brain is hemorrhaging from all this activity. No, and I, I love that. And even because he knows what, after at least the second hop, he knows what's happening to him. Right. And, and we find that he he's in with his neurologist, and he is literally joking about it with him mm-hmm. because he knows what he's done to himself and the, the neurologist can't figure it out, but he's explaining what's happened without explaining what happened. Uh, I, I really kind of dug that of like, okay, at least he knows what he's doing when he's doing it to himself. So I, I just, I really did love that touch and um, I'm hopping around here, but the performances in this is actually what I really enjoyed. Yeah, I was going to say, we should we talk about the cast a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashton Kutcher plays Evan, uh, the character, a, as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have uh, Logan Lerman and John Patrick Amadori, who both play it. We have, we have Evan at 7 and Evan at 13, re- respectively. All pretty good actors. Uh, yeah. sp- particularly, I think, like the uh, 13-year-old Evan, I yeah. think, is really good. I think they were all very effective at carrying the character. Like you, there wasn't a point. I mean, you have three different actors all playing the same part at different stages in their life. And I had no trouble going, yes, that was him at seven. That was him at 13. This is him in his twenties. Right. They did an excellent job with that. And as we'll get into, when we get into the reviews too, this is, Ashton Kutcher coming off of his uh, time on that 70s show and dude, where's my car? Um, And he's known as kind of a goof. Um, He's also at this time, this is the Demi Moore phase of his life. And so he's not being taken seriously. And this is a really dramatic, intensive role. And I thought he pulled it off very well. I think he did okay. I, I saw that he was actually uh, one of the executive producers of the film as well. Oh, was he? Okay, I didn't pay attention to that. But so, I, well, I think this was maybe a, an opportunity for him to okay. No one will cast me in anything besides things like comedies, "Dude, Where's My Car?" Comedies. comedies, comedies. So I'll I'll help pay for a film sure. to put me to that I can showcase that I can do something other than that. Yeah, and I'm not going to go as far as he, he'll go down in history as the greatest actor ever, but he had no. better chops than people were giving him credit for. I think he did okay. I mean, and I don't have a big, like, I don't know of Ashton Kutcher's repertoire. Right. You know, I didn't watch that 70s show. I saw a few episodes. Yeah. I never saw Dude, Where's My Car? I, I don't know really any other Ashton Kutcher films sure. other than this one. <laughs> Um, I don't know what he went on to do after this. <laughs> I, I honestly, I have no idea. He did some romantic comedy stuff. Okay, a I, little more to the to his wheelhouse. Gotcha. Pretty boy stuff. Right, 
But certainly for 2004, for the time it was made and everything, mm-hmm. yeah, he was, I guess I would say, you know, he was perfectly adequate. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say he was a standout, but he, he was not bad. No, no, I, I, I found him competent in the role. I mean, it wasn't a huge stretch. He was playing a, a, a young a 20-something college kid, right. Yeah, yeah. he's playing a college kid. This is not this is not groundbreaking stuff, but he also wasn't a, a doof. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was definitely a character that was showing some intelligence, right. which I which I do appreciate that he was not a complete idiot. You know, he could figure things out. He didn't need anybody to explain things to him. No, and the fact that uh, he was take it, it, it was encouraging that the character was taking his life lessons and trying to apply it toward his education, which all believable and reasonable things. It, it, it was it was good. It, it developed nicely that way. Dow's girlfriend was uh, as an adult was played by Amy Smart, uh, played Kaylee, and again uh, we had Irene Gorovia as her at 13. Uh, also, fine young child actor. Did a fine job. And yes, they, again, like you were saying, as far as the casting goes, you believe that the girl you're seeing at 13 is the girl that you're seeing at 20. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, this is actually a very smartly casted uh, film. Oh yeah, no, and, and we had already mentioned him, but I mean, Eric Stoltz is the... Uh, the creepy pedophile father. I like. Yes. Again, uh, they uh, effective. You got what you wanted out of that. You got the. They. It, it was clear they were. He was supposed to be a, a little um, down on his luck kind kind of guy. He was not living his best life. Um, but this is the guy that you picture as the sweet man and the unassuming mm-hmm. guy even when he's a little creepy, but then you see how creepy he can really get. Right. And he's very good at it. (laughs) Same with uh, Tommy. I mean, Tommy at 14 and Tommy as adult. We had Jesse James as 14-year-old Tommy. That's perfect name. Mm -hmm. And William Lee Scott as adult Tommy. And again, great casting. And just go ahead and say Lenny, uh, the one other friend, Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Schmidt as... Kenny at or Lenny at thirteen and Eldon Henson Lenny as an adult. So many names in here, other than Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart, Eric Stoltz. The other names, I don't know any of these actors, and I feel like it's kind of a shame because they did a really great job. <laughs> I think I've seen Eldon Henson in a few other things, but yeah, he's okay. not a household name. No, he did have uh, quite the part in the recurring Daredevil series. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, he played the character Foggy Nelson, so. <laughs> Love it. Quite the name. Comic books. What are you going to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Ethan's uh, Supley is Thumper. He went on and actually did a lot of, uh, he was American History X, a bunch of Kevin Smith films. So, yeah, he's uh, he's done okay for himself, too. But uh, strangely, yeah, but like I said, they are, as you put it, they are not household names. No. <laughs> Although I guess really is is Ashton Kutcher a household name anymore? Depends who you ask. I all oh, that uh, that's the other thing that he ended up going on. Uh, oh, uh, punked. Oh, that series was he punked. on that? He he was uh, he was the the host of that that series forever. So that's one of the other ones that he's. That's right. That's right. Okay. 
Now, Amy Smart, it was actually kind of funny. I kept thinking I didn't read the actual credits well enough, and I'm looking at this, this young girl, you know, playing his girlfriend. I'm thinking, boy, she seems familiar, but I can't place her. And then finally, yeah, it comes up, Amy Smart. I'm like, oh, right, I've been watching her in Stargirl. <laughs> She's... She's the uh, she's the mom in Star Girl. <laughs> oh, really? See, I haven't yeah. started watching anything to do with Star Girl, so that's too funny. See, I know her from all sorts of other stuff because uh, um, she was the girlfriend in, in, in the movie Crank, um, mm. which Crank's just a fun watch. <laughs> um, and then she was the love interest of uh, for the uh, Ryan Reynolds character in Just Friends, where where he dons a fat suit and all of that. So, gotcha. Uh, another fun watch. So she she's that girl next door. Yeah, no, absolutely. So right now I think we need to flash some giant spoiler war- warnings because I know you want to talk about the multiple endings uh-huh. that this film had. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't want to hear about some of the endings, definitely this is where you want to stop the show and uh, and... I saw all the endings. There was a ending shot for theatrical release. There was a director's cut. There was a couple other versions of the theatrical ending shot, mm-hmm. including like a sort of a happy ending and a up in the air ending, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they were uh, just shot and then not used or if they saw any international release or not. I I, I don't know. I watched the director's cut. I got the DVD from the library and okay, it was the director's cut. Okay, so that's cut. how you watched it? So the director's cut was the one that I saw. Interesting, because that's how I watched this movie the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. So when I watched it on HBO Max this time, that was my first time watching the theatrical cut. Okay. I think the theatrical cut is, in the end, it's like um, Evan's finally fix things uh all his friends have gone on and like been prosperous and had a happier life mm-hmm. without any trauma um you know certainly no trauma inflicted by any of his doings right and he's uh, a well-to-do business exec somebody you know whatever in new york comes out of a building passes kaylee on the street They, of course, haven't seen each other now in this timeline for 20 years. And they give each other sort of knowing looks. They seem to think that they're familiar. Well, he is. I mean, he would be. He remembers her, remember? Well, yeah, he does. Yeah, obviously. But yeah, no, she has this But she actually even looks at him just like, do I know you? Mm -hmm. But then they they just kind of both shake it off and walk the other way. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that the uh, that's the theatrical? The theatrical yes. Okay. The, uh, the now, all all is good in the world, but he has not reintroduced himself to her life. There is another version of that one where they see each other, and he does walk up to her, and introduce himself, and they go off to get a coffee. Mm-hmm. That's the happy ending. Mm-hmm. And there's another version that has um, same thing. Them on the street. He sees her, they start walking away, and then he turns around and starts following her. Yep. And that and that's the end. That's, that's the, the hopeful c- ending. Or creepy. <laughs> yes, that's a hopeful ending. Yeah, we'll go with hopeful. You're supposed to go with that's the hopeful. There could be more to come. Good or right. bad, but there could be more to come. 
Now, the director's cut ending doesn't go forward, you know, 10, 20 years. He's in the, uh, the, the, the hospital. He's locked himself in his, uh, I, I guess it was his neurologist's office mm-hmm. or whatever, yep. and manages to find some home videos that we didn't know anything about, but was suddenly shoehorned in towards in the last five minutes of the film. Uh, and he starts watching these home videos, which instead of reading the journal in this timeline, the journals don't exist. So he uses his home videos and it's a home video of his birth. Mm-hmm. And he uses this video to travel back in time to be the unborn child in his mother's womb, in his mother's womb, which he then strangles himself with the umbilical cord. Yep. I'm not going to lie, Tom. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 effect uh, that they did was a little on the cheesier side too, but you have to put yourself in the moment, though. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I, I I totally know where your head's at. I, I get it uh, and all that. But uh, if you can excise yourself from this, the notion uh, that his way out for himself and for everyone else, and, and, and it's, it's a controversial kind of thing to do, is that he is just not to be born. Mm-hmm. That is how he can put a more positive spin on that. And, and if you... If you relate anything else in this, um, and I understand there is a sequel to this thing. Um, I've never I seen I understand it. there's two, but two. both, the further they go, the less they have anything to do with this film. Um, I'd be certain of that. I would at least, well, I don't know, hope is the right word. but uh, From what I read, the second film has a lot of the same um, premise of time travel, but it doesn't really apply, doesn't mention this film other than in passing. There's like, they read something in the paper or something like mm-hmm. that. And the third film, no connection whatsoever. Yeah, without me knowing any of that, um, with any of the other theatrical or other releases, there is the potential for him to have a child and for this to go on for somebody else. <laughs> At least if that is the premise that was in the head of the writers and the director and all that, by him deciding to go back and not all not only make a better life for his his mother and his uh, his friends by just not being alive, he also ends the possibility of him ever having any kids that would also be able to do this. Right. So... I, I I gave it a little more leeway than I know that you're prepared to do, but um, again, I like the idea and I like the, the premise. But watching it watching it as it's executed, I was just like, "Wow, really?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I I concede that point, but I I'm I'm watching it from the perspective of I love. I really kind of dug the idea, and I love that, that it got dark. Uh, I mean, this was already a film that was dark. Uh, it, it, there's nothing fluffy <laughs> about any of the content in this. There is no. no fanfare for being able to travel back along your own timeline. Um, 
So the fact that his solution in the director's cut is to just never be born was kind of fitting with the way that this was going. Yeah, no, and I, I'm sure that's why it is the director's choice. Mm-hmm. If it truly was a director's cut, you know, if it really was their you know, decision, I can see why they wanted to go that way. I can also see why the studio said no. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, too, there are some other scenes in the director's cut, because like I said, I haven't seen the full director's cut, and you you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there's supposed, uh, if I remember correctly, there's some scene where some woman earlier in the film says something like, you were never supposed to be here, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he and his mom are out to dinner, and they leave the restaurant, and there's across the 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 way or whatever there's a uh, a palm reading mm-hmm. uh, a psychic and they go on and to get his palm read and the woman mentions that he has no lifeline it says you have no soul you aren't meant for this world that's the setup for what is to come but uh, yes uh, of which that scene does not exist in the uh, theatrical release so what do we got in the way of reviews? What did other people think of this film? We're a little split. In this case, I'm probably the far more forgiving uh, of this one. Um, and you know what? Some of it could be the nostalgia factor. It hit me at the right time in the right way. So mm-hmm. um, I liked that it it was different than other things that would have been out around 2004. So it, sure. It hit me in a spot. So, um, and the reviews are a little all over the map, but it, in an interesting way. Like the first one I I went through was of course a Roger Ebert one, of which he gave it a whopping two and a half stars. <laughs> um, but the funny thing is, when you read through the review, it reads actually fairly um, positive. Um, in fact, uh, the the the. The part that I'll take from this is he he wrote, I enjoyed the butterfly effect up to a point. That point was reached too long before the end of the film. There's so much flashing forward and backward, so many spins of fate, so many chapters in the journals that after a while I felt I, as well as time, was being jerked around. <laughs> so I, 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 I get that point, but everything before that was talking about um, the, the, ta- the showcasing of the talent through the movie and, and the play on all that. Uh, even he takes time to point out um, Ashton Kutcher is mostly known um, at the time for, uh, and I, I love this part, the gossip press can't forgive him for dating Demi Moore Although that's a thing many sensible young men dream of doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, uh, truly, I think jealousy played a role in people making fun of him for that. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, yeah, at no point during any of that. I'm like, Demi's gorgeous. What's your what's your yeah. problem? <laughs> you, you go, guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm not I'm not seeing a problem here at all. Um. And then I get into other ones. I found a review from The Guardian. Um, they gave it three stars. And they start off with, unlikely as this sounds, Ashton Kutcher's attempt at a, at a straight role in this parallel universe thriller really isn't half bad. Um, 
they, they tended to like the film. The interesting thing is I did discover this. Um, it, it's Christian Spotlight on Entertainment. Oh, right. Um, we'll get into this, but they actually gave it a three and a half stars. <laughs> this okay. was the best rating I could get. And this thing just chewed on this movie throughout the thing, but chewed on it in all the places that you just wouldn't think uh, of for all this because I, I was mystified by how they do a breakdown. It goes through a general synopsis like uh, way too many reviews do. I am becoming completely disheartened by the sheer amount of reviews that aren't reviews. They're just, here, let me tell you the story so you don't have to go see it. But then it breaks it down into the things that they think their readers want mm -hmm. about a movie. So it breaks it into the things that they think you're not going to like. <laughs> so <laughs> they have a section on violence, um, talking about several murders, um, the killing of the dog, which we didn't even get into a whole lot. And that, that was getting a little hard to take, too, because it came up yeah, more yeah. than once. The funny thing is in this particular point, they don't even really talk about the fact that they blew up a mother and child. <laughs> I mean, that was when that scene came up. That was one of those things that stuck with me right away. And you didn't really see anything. It was all implied. Maybe maybe that's why they don't mention it in that particular review. I, I suppose not. But then... <laughs> Then they go into language. They actually do a count of how many times the word is said. <laughs> uh, they get into sex and nudity, all about uh, Kaylee's time as a as a hooker and, and all of that. Oh, and the uh, the pedophile stuff, which again, it's intended to be. It sets a tone. There's got to be right. a reason to, to do all this. So None of this is glorified. No, 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 no. no it, none of it's it, glorified. It is there to be exactly what it should be. Yeah. Yes. And then my favorite section. <laughs> the section for blasphemous content. <laughs> of which they picked on the sequence where Evan uses, uh, invokes Jesus as a way to convince his cellmate to help him. Yep. Um, they take objection with um, Tommy even being referred to as a Jesus freak. Uh, yeah. Because he goes all Bible on everything after after supposedly saving the woman's child. And, and then my favorite. <laughs> they actually write... And, of course, the very idea of alternate universes is blasphemous, suggesting anything to do with uh, science fiction and, uh, and traveling through time would suggest that man can alter um, God's will. So the, the act of doing so puts us above God, and somehow that, that, that is just not right. But, but yet they gave it a three and a half stars. <laughs> That's that's funny. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it doesn't fit. It's incongruous. And they weren't the only ones. I mean, despite what you might say are mediocre to maybe just on the side of good reviews. I mean, the film was a commercial success. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently had a budget of only about $13 million. But I think uh, 
opening weekend, it brought in over $17 million Wow. and would go on to gross uh, almost $58 million in the U.S. alone. Wow. So not bad. It did uh, garner a couple uh, – he got a nomination for Best Science Fiction from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror uh, Saturn Award. It won an Audience Award at the Brussels International Festival of Fantasy Film. And it was a, uh, let's see, it was nominated for a Teen Choice Award. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> just just for the one scene in the uh, the girls' uh, dormitory uh, bathroom <laughs> uh, alone would give it the Teen Choice Award. Well, I there think. you go, yeah. Well, and then you get the Ashton Kutcher. Oh. So, yeah, so uh, it did not do too bad for itself. No, no, apparently not. And I, I and like I said, uh, this hit me at, at the right time. I, I, I can see why why it didn't do too bad. I, it, it was a little different. Um, I also, I understand this was like a February release. Mm-hmm. So especially in 2004, that's not your typical time. Um, for right. lots of new stuff. So it's hitting at the right moment. For- yeah, I, I'm not saying I didn't like the film. I'm not saying it's a bad film. Right. I I think it's it's got a great premise. You know, it's got some great elements, and there's a lot of those elements that I really like, and there's a lot of the film that I really like. It's just overall, it's, it's okay, is <laughs> pretty much how I... I come in at that two and a half out of five kind of thing, like Ebert <laughs> there. You know, I really liked it, up to a point. Sure. And it wasn't like I was, I'm not talking like a linear, I made it this far and then I didn't like it. I mean, I watched the entire film and there's a lot of the film I like, but, right. you know, there's an asterisk for me. Right. Um, but I know that I wanted this included in our time travel because I really love how they chose to deal with time travel in this. And this is probably one of the first films we've actually watched out of all these films where the time travel is the plot element that drives the story. Yes, no, uh, none of this happens without it. Uh, there, yeah. there is no story here otherwise. I mean, there's drama, there's drama here, but you don't get to the end of this without that being part of it. Right. So many of the other films we've watched, the time travel is, oh, and they went in the past and then an adventure happens. Right. Oh, they went to the future and an adventure happens. Yes. This is the, yeah, the, this is the one where the time travel makes the rest of the movie happen. Right. It's an active participant mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no device. There's no necessarily explanation. Um, they they give a path to it happening, but... But I mean, there's no, there's no overarching thing. There's no plan. There's nobody's driving this. Nobody paid for this. No, there's no machine involved. It is just simply an activity of the mind. <laughs> that's not your typical time travel. So I think that's going to do it for this one. Uh, unless you had anything else that you wanted to you wanted to bring up or mention? No, I think uh, we covered this one rather quite well. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for the butterfly effect. As always, would love to hear your thoughts on it. Please follow all the links in the link tree in the show notes or send us an email, timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we're going to go back a couple decades to 1973. We're going to go uh, 
step away from the polished Hollywood films to something that's a little bit more of an independent uh, endeavor. This is actually directed by Peter Fonda. Nice. It's the Idaho Transfer from 1973. I stumbled on this film years ago, and it was like in between podcast it was like the moment like uh, it was in the in the wilderness years of time shifters <laughs> and so i've actually been dined for an excuse to actually discuss this film with somebody nice. so this should be fun well this will be a first watch for me i had not heard of this till you brought it up <laughs> excellent so we will be back in a couple weeks to talk about that uh if you want to watch it you can find it just about everywhere it's a real easy find i've saw it was on tubi you can find it on youtube um you might even be able to get it if you have a streaming service available from your library like like a loaner thing you can do it that way that's probably how i'm gonna do it (laughs) but uh so yeah easy easy to find easy to watch so i'd really be great if you uh Check it out and let us know what you think even before we uh, sit down and talk about it. Absolutely. Tom, thanks very much. It's been a blast. Always. All right. Bye, everybody. See you.